Our scripture this morning is from John chapter 20, verses 19 to 31. Would you please stand for the reading of scripture? John chapter 20 and verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. May God add his rich blessing to reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? <clears throat> Again, our Father, we're thankful for your holy word, and we pray that by the power of your spirit you would come and speak to us that we might hear the voice of our good shepherd, Jesus Christ, and that we might know him and follow him and offer ourselves to him promptly and sincerely. We pray that you would meet each of us where we are and tell us exactly what we need to hear, whether it's a word of challenge and conviction, a word of comfort and encouragement, a word of conversion. We pray that you would speak and we would hear you in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. Believe and live. Have you ever in a conversation as someone just kept on talking on and on said, why are you telling me this? Or have you ever caught yourself rambling on and on and said, I don't know why I'm telling you all this. John does not want us to have to ask that question. So he states plainly and exactly 
why he has told us all this. Everything in the book of John. Look at verse 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John says he's given us all this information about Jesus so that we would, one, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and two, that believing we might have life in his name. So John has told us all this in order that we, his readers, would believe and live. Now let's look at the passage before us this morning. First, in this passage, you see the signs. The signs. Look at verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. It says Jesus did many other signs. And we know uh, that signs are miracles. You remember at the beginning of chapter 2, when Jesus turned the water into wine at the wedding at Cana Galilee, that it says this was the first of his signs. And John says here that Jesus did many other signs or miracles, but these are written that you might believe. These what? These signs. These miracles. The Gospel of John contains seven signs and then the big one at the end, the resurrection of Jesus himself. In fact, many scholars outline the book of John into two parts. Part one is the book of the signs of Jesus, the seven signs And part two is the book of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And John says that these signs were done in the presence of the disciples. Now we need to think here about what type of literature this is. John does not write about this as if this material is myth or legend or Uh, what we would call tall tales. I love to listen to Jerry Clower. I don't know if there's a single story Jerry Clower ever told that I have not heard. I could literally listen to him all day long. In fact, I have listened to him all day long. In fact, if you were to come to my house and yell, Knock him out, John, my oldest child would reply immediately, shoot this thing. (laughs) But Jerry Clower did not expect us to believe that his stories were literal history. Sure, the Leadbutters were based loosely on some folk he knew down in Amit County, Mississippi. But he didn't mean for you to think that he was reporting straight, unembellished facts. A legend is clearly a legend. But John does not write in that style. 
If you think about it, these things are either real or this book is a crime. John himself records Jesus saying, you will be persecuted for following me. You may even die if you follow me. You don't ask people to die for a myth. But this is real. Look at verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And then Jesus comes back again the next Sunday and look at verse 27. He said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. John is saying here, at one point we were skeptical. We were unbelievers, but we saw this for ourselves. Our eyes have looked upon it, as he will say in the first words of his first letter of 1 John, our eyes which we have seen and heard, which our eyes have looked upon and our hands have handled. This is real. Remember in chapter 20, John said that he himself did not understand until he looked in the empty tomb and saw the face cloth that had been bound around Jesus folded and laid neatly. Then he says he believed. John is saying, Prior to the resurrection of Jesus, we could not have conceived of what we're telling you about. We couldn't have made it up. You cannot invent something if you cannot first conceive of it. And John is telling us that before all this happened, it was inconceivable. Even to the apostles, they couldn't have made it up. You see the signs. Secondly, in this passage, you see the Christ. Look at verse 31 again. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Now, it's interesting. In the uh, original Greek in which John wrote, the order of the sentence is reversed. It literally reads that you might believe that the Christ is Jesus. Now think about it. The Jews had been looking for the promised Messiah, the Christ, for centuries. And John is saying he is the Christ. The Christ that you've been looking for all these years is Jesus. The signs prove that the Christ who was to come 
was Jesus. And the signs prove that he is the Son of God. You remember Jesus turned uh, the water into wine. You remember he had them to fill the water pots that were there for the Jewish ceremonies. And that showed that Jesus is the fulfillment of Judaism. He is fulfillment, the fulfillment of the Mosaic law and ceremonies. And that once he had fulfilled them, he would bring in a new era as new wine came when the Jewish water pots were filled. Then later in chapter 4, Jesus healed the centurion's son who was at the point of death and he did, to, did that to show that he was the Son of God whom the Father would freely give so that that man could keep his son. Jesus fed the 5,000 in John chapter 6 to show that he was the bread of life, that if anyone ate of his bread that he would give, he would live forever. And his bread was his flesh, which he would give for the life of the world, that our life would come from his death and his sacrifice. In chapter 9, he healed the man born blind. And what did he say? I am the light of the world. You remember that in the book of Exodus, the Lord had led his people by a pillar of fire at night. You know Psalm 27. In verse 1, the Lord is my light. Jesus says, that is I. I am the light of the world. John chapter 11, when he raised Lazarus from the dead and performed that sign, you remember that Lazarus' sister Martha said, I know my brother will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus performed these signs and John and the disciples witnessed these signs and he wrote them down in order that we might believe that the one who performed these signs is the Christ, the Son of God, the bread of life, the resurrection, and the life, the light of the world, the way and the truth and the life, and the good shepherd. He gave us these signs that we might believe, not just have knowledge of the facts or give assent to the facts, but believe, but trust 
John hasn't told us this simply so we would know some interesting facts that happened a long time ago or even that we would accept and agree that this is true. He wants us to commit our lives to this truth. Like the man born blind in chapter 9, you remember he confessed his faith in Jesus that he had healed him and they ran him out. They excommunicated him from the synagogue and Jesus, the good shepherd, it says he went and found him and he asked him, do you believe in the Son of God? And he says that the man confessed, Lord, I believe and he worshipped him. He laid himself, he laid his life at Jesus' feet. And that's what John means when he says that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That we might commit our life to him. Or like Peter in John 6 when thousands had turned away from Jesus and he turned to the twelve and said, Will you also leave? And you remember Peter said, To whom shall we go but thee? Thou hast the words of eternal life and we believe and have come to know that you are the Holy One from God. He is the Christ. You see the signs, you see the Christ. And thirdly and finally in this passage, you see the life. The life. Look at the end of verse 31 again. That by believing, you may have life in His name. Believing in Jesus gives life. And throughout this passage before us, we see what this life, this eternal life in Jesus' name is. And I want to draw out several aspects of eternal life in Jesus' name. First, you see peace. Look at verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. You know where that comes from. The benediction. The ironic benediction. The priest would pronounce the Lord bless thee and keep thee. Make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. On what basis could the priest, Aaron, pronounce the benediction, the blessing of God and the peace of God on the people? He could pronounce that benediction on the basis of the sacrifice he, the priest, had made. Think about the image. The priest, he, he makes a sacrifice for the people. 
He lifts his hands and pronounces the blessing of the people and the peace of God to be on them. Look at the last word of verse 19 again. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Jesus, our great high priest, pronounces the benediction on his people and he shows them the wounds the sacrifice which made their peace you remember Isaiah the prophet spoke of the Lord's servant in that magnificent chapter 53 and says of the Lord's servant upon him was the chastisement of our peace. His punishment, His suffering brought us peace and by His stripes, by His wounds, we are healed. And here, the high priest of all high priests, Jesus Christ, pronounces the benediction on his people and shows them the wounds by which they are healed. Peace. second aspect of eternal life is Participation in the ministry of the Holy Trinity. Look at verse 21. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. You see, Jesus now, he's sending his disciples, he's sending his church, uh, which uh, they were the, the founders, he being the uh, cornerstone and foundation of which we are all a part today, being built up into a holy temple. He's sending them out and us out into the world to do His work, and it is rooted, you see, in His being sent by the Father. The Father sent the Son to accomplish the work of redemption, and the Son sends His church to declare that redemption. Of course, we do not become God or part of the triune Godhead, but really being alive is to be brought into the very life of God, the blessed Trinity, in the work of declaring the person and the salvation accomplished by Jesus Christ. Now, the third aspect of this life is the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Is it not fascinating that right after Jesus says that he sends us as the Father sent him, that he breathed 
on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Father sent the Son. The Son sends us with the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This same Holy Spirit who was with Jesus the Son from all eternity. The Spirit who conceived and formed His human nature in the womb of the Virgin Mary and was with Him every moment of His earthly life. Spirit that raised Him from the dead and was given to Him upon His ascension to the throne. He sends us that spirit as he sends us to work. Jesus' death has secured for us the gift of the Holy Spirit and Jesus is the giver of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul says that the risen Christ has become a life-giving spirit. He is so identified with the Spirit that He now gives to us that He is the life-giving Spirit and the Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ and by the power of the Spirit, Jesus Himself is with us. Fourthly, this life in Jesus' name involves a message. Look at verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, Jesus is not saying that forgiveness is in the hands of the apostles or that it's in the hands of the church. He does not say, if you forgive them, then I will forgive them. I'll do whatever you tell me, (laughs) Peter. No, he says, if you forgive. Forgive them, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness, it is withheld. We have a message of forgiveness of sin. Luke says it. Law, the prophets, and the Psalms said that Christ should suffer and the third day be raised from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins be preached in His name to all nations. We have the greatest message in all the world that all your sins, though they be as scarlet, By the blood of Jesus Christ, they may be white as snow. Fifth element of this eternal life is resurrection. Look at what Jesus was like in verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. Jesus could pass through a locked door. As Paul will say, he has been transformed from an earthly body 
into a spiritual body. Now look at verse 20. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Look at verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. He can pass through locked doors. He has been transformed into a spiritual body and yet he still has the scars of his suffering in his body. He's still the same person. He has the same body, but it has been glorified and transformed. That is what awaits all who trust Jesus Christ, a new creation. Now go back to verse 22 again. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, when God first created man, what did he do? He formed him from the dust of the earth and then breathed into him the breath of life and the first man became a living soul. Paul says the first man was made a living soul The last man, Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. Jesus has been transformed in his resurrection into a life-giving spirit. And what's he doing? In verse 22, he's breathing the breath of a new creation a new order and dimension of life. He is making a new world. And where does it begin? With the gift of the Holy Spirit. The new age. I'm not talking about crazy new age movement junk. I mean in terms of the history of the Bible. The new era. The new creation is the age of the Spirit. One day, like Jesus, we will be transformed into a spiritual body at the resurrection on the last day. But until then, we already have the essential gift of the Holy Spirit, which the Scripture says the Spirit is the earnest. He is the down payment on our eternal inheritance, giving us new life in our souls now. And it's all secured by the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now the last element we see in this passage of this life in Jesus' name is knowing God. Eternal life is knowing God. Look at verse 28. This is after Jesus has told Thomas, you reach forth your hand and touch my hands and my side. What does Thomas say in verse 28? My Lord and my 
God. Thomas, you remember on Easter morning, he wasn't there. And the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord, he's risen. And Thomas said, I won't believe unless I see it myself, unless I touch the mark of the nails. I will never believe. And then the following Sunday, Jesus comes. He shows him his scars and Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Literally, he says, the Lord and the God of me. How did Thomas come to know his God? Through the flesh. The wounded and resurrected and glorified flesh of Jesus. Now we've come full circle in the Gospel of John, haven't we? The very beginning, John chapter 1 and verse 14, what does he say? And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Thomas has seen the glory of God in the flesh of Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 29. Jesus said to him, If you believe because you have seen me, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Though you have not seen Jesus with your eyes, you may see him this very day by faith. And through his wounded and scarred and risen and glorified flesh, you may see and know the glory of God. And it is eternal life to know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Believe and live. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost.